Welcome to America This Week from the Harris Poll. I am John Gersma, and I am with, as always, my amazing co-host, Libby Rodney. Libby, how are you? Great. How are you, John? Happy Labor Day. I'm excited. What are you doing? Are you going to be around? or? I'm going to a Disney experience tomorrow, which I'm not that excited about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. More on that later. Good luck. Report on that next week. If you're new to our show, Libby and I are both pollsters at the Harris Poll, and we field a weekly survey looking at everything that's going on in American society and culture. So this weekly pulse is really the foundation of the show, and it actually is sort of set up to, to help the curious, the culture curious, I guess I'd say, look at new tastes, trends, and demands, and um, maybe sometimes learn a couple things to make you seem cool to your kids. Um, <laughs> I think importantly, what we're going to do uh, in, in this show is in every show is try to look at the data from all sides. And um, we love our community and we welcome polling ideas. In fact, thanks to James G for a great one uh, that we're going to talk about next week. So uh, if you like this, please subscribe to our newsletter on LinkedIn, America This Week. And if you like the banner, please leave us a review. Libby, what do we have in store for this week's episode? Yeah, we have some fun stories. So the first one's, you know, you won't believe what parent, parents are mobilizing for now. They have so much going on, but now they have kind of a new thing that they're mobilizing for. The second one, we talk about Labor Day specifically. Who knows what the holiday is and who just thinks that it's a shopping holiday? And then finally, we're going to unpack the new trend and the consistent trend about Gen Z using TikTok to land a job in the tight talent market we find ourselves in. Awesome. Tick jobs. I love it. Okay. Well, listen, as every week, uh, we start by bringing the weekly heat, which are our most important numbers in America this week from our polling. So the first of the three numbers of the week, Libby, I want you to imagine you're at a dinner party, all right? And there's 10 guests and there's eight of these guests are talking about inflation and the economy and they're freaked out about it and maybe two the two hosts at the end are, are seemingly fine because they <laughs> they aren't worried about it that is america uh this week we see that 83 percent of americans are concerned uh, greatly about economy and inflation with the near same number at 81 percent worrying about a potential u.s recession and both of these numbers are unchanged from last week so they they seem to be holding steady i think the one that maybe is even more curious and concerning libby is that seven out of 10 Americans actually believe the worst of inflation is still ahead of us. And that is on top of, you know, even declining gas prices, some stability in inflation, but they seem to be agreeing more with uh, Federal Reserve uh, Chairman Powell than they do uh, with the current administration. But um, Libby, I love your take on this because inflation is so visceral, right? And so visible, you know, it's just something you see when you go to the to the grocery store and, and to the gas pump. And we see that in the data, right? Three quarters of Americans report feeling most inflect, affected by inflation in their in their grocery bills and the gas pump uh, at 70%. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine inflation getting so much worse. I mean, I'm, I'm already paying $7 for blueberries at our local grocery store. So I'm like, where does that take us? Are we paying $12 for blueberries in the future? Like, what what is that reality? But I have been to those dinner parties, John, where, you know, eight, eight of the people are like, hey, you know, this is where we're headed. And here are the things you need to watch for. So, um, 
you know, this is kind of the the, st- the state we're in right now. It seems like it. Well, hey, let's get in and talk about our, our first big story. So the first thing we're going to talk about, Libby, is the fact that you're not going to believe what parents are mobilizing for now. Um, we have a new Harris study out with the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools that actually was featured this week in USA Today. And it finds that the pandemic unleashed a new generation of more involved and politically active parents. I, I thought this was really interesting, Libby. We, we saw in the data, and you have to imagine this, right? Because you and I both had kids at home, right? And they were upstairs in their rooms and, and learning online. Well, 84% of parents their eyes really opened up during the pandemic. They told us that they learned more about their children's education. And a lot of the things they saw they didn't like or thought should be done better. Because what also has happened is that 83% of these parents that we surveyed said that education is now more important to them politically than it was in the past. And for parents voting in local and state elections, Libby, this issue was second only to taxes. And I I find the last stat in this that is really interesting is that as a voting issue, it actually transcends party identity. So 82% of these parents um, said that they would be willing to vote outside their self-identified political party um, based on educational platforms. And that includes, you know, over uh, 80%, even almost 90% uh, in some instances between independents, Democrats, and Republicans. Libby, what's the implication? So I think there's... There's a big implication here. And, you know, so obviously parents have spent time with their children understanding what's happening in the curriculum. And a lot of the things parents saw, whether they're red or blue, they didn't like or align with their values or beliefs. Um, But I think ultimately it's more than a political squabble. You know, I think what's happening is we're just missing a rehaul in the vision for the American education system. You know, like what are we trying to accomplish with the education system that gives us this kind of mighty, big, mighty mission to hang our hook on? And this is something we've been talking about for a while. In 2018, um, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development came out with a ranking. And while America ranked number three in hours that teachers spend with students in the classroom, we were 11th in science and we were 30th in math out of 79 countries. So that at that time, that kind of rang the bell saying like, hey, what's going on here? How do we think about our education system? What do we need to do? Um, And I think that we're still kind of missing that. Like, why send your kids to school? What is the thing that we can all get aligned on? What is the thing that, you know, transcends red or blue politics? Um, And I think it's really important because uh, this Economist Eric um, Hanasuk from Stanford University estimated that the U.S. economy would grow over 4% in the next 20 years if our students' math and science skills were as strong as the rest of the world. So, you know, it's really like we don't have to agree on everything. And maybe if we could have a bigger thing that united us, we would we wouldn't be getting in these squabbles and we wouldn't be, you know, burning out our teachers and, and trying to 
make everything about the politics. But John, I'm really curious, what do you think? Will this propel education into this dangerous political territory of being red and blue and, and no in between? And what, how do parents deal with that? Yeah, Libby. I mean, I would love to see a, a moonshot in education and seeing the parties come together, but you don't really see that right now. I mean, if you look at like what happened in real time in Florida, you know, you saw that, um, you know, as, as of the past two weeks, 20 of the 30 school board members endorsed by uh, Governor Ron DeSantis won or advanced in their races. And they were campaigning on parental rights and, and transparency, school choice and safety. But you know what, I think we've got to look at this from from both sides. Because you know both Democrats and Republicans are are to blame, and uh, one of the things that really struck me—I don't know if you saw that that survey that came out in the New York Times this week on the state of our math skills and their declining—they um, they had a, a new study from the NAEP, which is the National Assessment of Educational Progress Test, and they've been tracking students since the 70s, and they looked at nine-year-olds. Um, who have lost ground in math scores, it fell by the largest margin in more than 30 years. And so, you know, you think back to uh, the fights that, um, you know, that parents had with teachers unions, you know, in in progressive uh, places like uh, Chicago and New York. And there's now question, it's 2020 hindsight, right? But there's now questions of, were our kids out of school for too long during COVID? And is this really created uh, this setback? But this is just particularly troubling uh, for, for black students that have lost such significant uh, nine-year-old uh, black students and also disabled students, students with special needs. They're back to the levels of math uh, uh, efficacy or, or sort of achievement that were like back in, in 2002. I don't know, Libby, kind of where you take this or where you think it might go? Yeah, I mean, we can't spend time being polarized in the classroom. I, we need to have just a bigger vision about what education is for. And there's just too many kind of converging workforce trends and big shifts that are going to happen in culture over the next 10 to 20 years. And I say this as a parent with small children, that it's right. that I, I really want education to get out of this polarized fractional state to to really think about something bigger that it can achieve for more people and be more inclusive. Um, and and I don't know what the path of that is forward, but I do think it has to unite more people as it kind of comes up. And so it's got to be something that just is a little bit more transcendent outside of these beliefs and alignment issues that are kind of plaguing the the system right now. Absolutely agree with you. Why don't we take a break between our, our two stories for what we uh, call our palate <laughs> cleanser? So this section is is sort of the number of the week that I guess makes us laugh, lean in, or just scratch our head, right, Libby? And you've you've got a number here. What? what yeah. So. Yeah, so this is our second story. So let's just talk about Labor Day for a second. You know, who understands what it is and who thinks it's just a shopping day? Um, so our co-CEO, Will Johnson, wrote a piece in Ad Age featuring some wild stats about Gen Z and Labor Day. And here's the numbers, right? Gen Z, and for those of you who need a little refresher, are Americans under 25. They come in at the lowest generational understanding of Labor Day. Only half 
understand the meaning of Labor Day <laughs> compared to about 70% of Americans. But they're excited to use it as an excuse to shop and find great deals. So around 7 and 10 are planning to use Labor Day this weekend as a shopping weekend. And they believe, over half believe, this is going to be the best deals offered during Labor Day are even better than those offered at other times like Black Friday, you know, all, all the other types of things. So they're, they're actively shopping. They're going to be in the malls. They're going to be online. They're going to be on Instagram and TikTok buying things. This is going to be their moment. Um, but John, what I thought was interesting and a bit ironic about this is Gen Z, who in our data is passionate about workers' rights and unions and transparency, don't seem to understand the importance of Labor Day and the historical meaning of workers' rights as it ties to this Labor Day. So what do you think about that? I completely agree. And obviously the, the history of, of Labor Day was a reaction to the just impossible conditions of the industrial revolution. So you would think that it was would be seen more in a in a very progressive sort of in, inclusive light. But um, no, I, I guess this maybe like all things, um, the longer something is institutional, the less it's understood. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of maybe toss back a, a stat that uh, that we found this morning. But I, I think it's interesting, not only did Gen Z not understand Labor Day, they actually don't understand labor. Uh, 42% of Gen Z employees right now are more likely to be prioritizing their professional ambition and their career advancement, yet 58% of them in a forced choice question said they would prefer a good work-life balance, but with slower career advancement. So maybe uh, labor is just sort of an opaque uh, concept at the moment. Well, it's kind of interesting, John, just to go on that. So Labor Day was fostered out of that, uh, like a 12-hour workday, seven days a week. Now we're seeing like you know, anywhere from eight to 10 hour work days at five days a week. So maybe Gen Z's new Labor Day movement will just be a four day work week and less working time. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Hey, can I circle back real quick on what you said about um, sort of the, it sounds like the shopping uh, sort of calendar is keeps moving forward. Is that what you're kind of saying? What you're starting to see? Yeah. Well, for Gen Z, we see that Labor Day, they think it's going to be their best sales day. Um, a, a friend of mine writes a really great uh, piece on this, Megan Cohen, where she says that Prime Day it now has moved everything up. So Prime Day now is in October and she anticipates that's where holiday shopping starts and ends. So that's what they kind of started to see last year, but this year it's supposed to be a major um, beginning and advancement of, of the holiday season as well. Fascinating. Um, well, listen, let's uh, let's get in and talk about our, our third and last story. We have um, an interesting new sort of segue, I guess, from labor. Um, but, you know, speaking of labor, what we see in, in this next idea is that labor shortage obviously remains a, a vexing problem for employers and the economy at large. 
But New Harris data that we did, Libby, this week with CareerArc actually shows that a number of, of job applicants, especially younger uh, job applicants, Gen Z, are actually turning to social media um, to sort of look for a job. And that's really changing the strategies inside corporations as they think about recruiting. Uh, really difficult to, to find uh, employees these days. So here's what we found. We saw that two-thirds, 62% almost, of Gen Z have actually discovered job opportunities on social media. And what I thought was really interesting, Libby, is that's compared to 31%, half as many of Gen uh, X, and only 12% of boomers, right? So that's a 50 percentage point difference. So Gen Z are really using social media uh, as they think about uh, their job search. But what was also really important in this was the idea that once you are using social media, you're actually opening up the aperture of potential applicants, which is particularly important for companies, right, that are trying to solve their DEI challenges. And uh, we saw that again in the data that Hispanic and Black uh, Americans who were job searching were more likely to report having discovered job opportunities um, at levels near 40 to 50 percent uh, among Black and Hispanic job applicants um, in terms of using social media, whether that was to, to apply to jobs or to connect with recruiters or employees. And the last part, which I'd love your take on, Libby, is that employees are actually now willing to be your brand advocate. Right, because if you are using social, you're going to try to get your employees to be involved in this. And two thirds of Gen Z, even more so, at 66%, say that they would share their company's social media content versus half of all adults. So, uh, Libby, what's your kind of hot take on social media job searching? <laughs> well, I think there's two things. So there's a kind of Gen Z point of view, and then there's an employer employer point of view. So from Gen Z, this makes a lot of sense, right? Gen Z's lifeline, bloodline has been TikTok. And this idea of career talk has actually been a really thriving subculture on the platform um, for a couple of years now. Job advice, job discovery, all of that. In fact, last year, TikTok created TikTok resumes, which are like 60 second little videos that you can talk about your experience, talk about what you want, et cetera. And actually brands like Chipotle and Target and WWE and Spot Shopify were kind of the first companies to jump on board there. So that very much follows the trend that everything is going more um, video based, right? Because it's like, what does a resume really tell you? It's just such a 2D dimensionalized thing. We're seeing that even in dating, right? And relationships. It's like, stop swiping, start looking at some video, right? So that, it makes a lot of sense to me that careers, jobs, everything like that is moving kind of into this career talk version. Um, but from the employer point of view, what I think is really interesting is to think about it like culture versus strategy. So how do you create a social media culture that employees can become your brand advocates, right? Hmm. So what do you do to give them ways to share and activate content? And it, and what I'm thinking of, and it's not the, the best example, but it's like, 
how do you create these events or these things that's really amazing about your culture that employees then feel like sharing? And John, I think it gets back to kind of our conversation last week about quiet quitting. And the opposite of quiet quitting is like joyful joining, right? And so if you can give these like moments in company culture to joyfully participate, like you almost need to be thinking about that nonstop. It's like, what's, you know, what's your company culture's thirst trap? Um, And then second, like on that, how do you get, if, if this is where people of color are coming to discover jobs, how do you do that in a way that really makes them feel seen and heard that um, caters to their needs when looking for a job and then also like retargets them so you can just fuel and foster that funnel in a way that drives equity. But John, what I'm cu- curious from your point of view on is we've been talking about HR a lot as like a new source of innovation. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're also going to be the next social media arm of the company? How is this going to work for for our HR folks out there. Hey, listen, you and I are sort of longstanding beating the drum that we believe that HR could become the center of innovation inside companies. I mean, if you think about the competition for talent and you think about how important culture is today and cultural values are to to employees, not only prospective employees, but also consumers, right? We see that in our data. People buy brands from companies they admire. And so, you know, I, I think this is another sort of uh, example of restructuring how HR could become more socially focused. Um, And that's not what they do right now, right? I mean, HR to some extent is about reinforcing policies, controlling the narrative, right? Corporate communications and and making sure that that things are sort of presented uh, in a very, in a very clean way. And that's not social, right? Yeah. I mean, so what companies would have to do, I think, is they'd have to get their, their cultural story together. They'd have to be sure it was transparent, that they were sharing their their values through their videos, through their employee testimonials, that, that you know, everything is there to be seen. It's all on display. Um, and then, as you point out, Libby, they're going to have to be comfortable with their employees being recruiters, right? Being brand yeah. ambassadors, because they could be sharing this content with editorial and they could also be talking to prospective uh, employees, you know, their peers. And so it requires a lot of sort of faith uh, in your employees to be your brand advocates and to uh, allow them to explain you know, sort of demonstrate that that radical transparency. Um, and, but I thought you said something really interesting, Libby, about, you know, trying to do a better job uh, with your DEI. And the big benefit of social is just opening up your your wider pool of applicants. Well, that means you got to be culturally inclusive, right? So how are you aligning that in a way that is, is really creating meaningful conversations um, that's bringing people in? Uh, for the right reasons. I, I don't know. I find it fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely one to watch for, especially as, you know, we talk so much about the future of work, but this is a big one, right? Figuring out the the funnel and the ways in which you build equity into the process of uh, talent recruitment um, and job openings and job discovery and kind of fish where the fish are in that way. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really powerful one. 
Yeah. And you remember our Milken study that we did this year? We, we talked to, to business leaders at the Milken Institute, and they said that generational values, changing generational values, are going to be a significant disruptor to their business. That was 76% of all leaders said that. Well, this is just another example of that, right? I mean, the delta between Gen Z using social media to search for a job and boomers and Xers, it's just completely different. This is another thing you have to adapt. Absolutely. Oh, man. Hey, Libby, this is a great uh, quick conversation. I really enjoyed it. And um, we want to thank everybody for uh, for joining in. Listen, send us polling questions. You can get Libby on Twitter uh, at what, Libby G? Yeah, or I'm better on LinkedIn. Just find me at Libby Rodney. <laughs> okay. You can find her on TikTok. You can find her everywhere. Um, and, and same, but send Libby and I some polling questions. We'd love to, to get them into the conversation here. And uh, if you appreciate this, please uh, drop us a note or, or leave us a review. And uh, that's it for America this week. Libby, have yourself a great long weekend. You too, John. I hope it's very long and restful. You as well. Take care, everybody.